Hello and welcome to the podcast for the July 2013 issue of The Lancet Neurology. I'm Richard Lane and this month I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Tabrizi on the line who's going to discuss the TRAC HD study concerning Huntington's disease. Welcome Sarah. Hello. Very nice to talk to you again. I do recall we spoke about Track HD a, a few years ago, but obviously your paper is very much a cornerstone of the July issue of the Lancet Neurology. It was published online on May the 9th as well. Just for starters, so can you remind us, because Track HD is a detailed, large, relatively complex study, what is Track HD all about? So Track HD is a natural history study, an observational study of Huntington's disease. Now, Huntington's disease is an inherited neuro a degenerative condition and it's autosomal dominantly inherited with full genetic penetrance and because of that it means that we can study people who have had a genetic predictive test for Huntington's disease who carry the abnormal genetic mutation who yet do not have symptoms but who know they're going to develop the disease in the future and that's what we call pre-manifest HD and we can also in track HD we've studied people with very early disease so we set up a natural history study to really understand what's going on in neurodegeneration before people develop any obvious clinical signs of the disease because for that reason, we want to use this to develop therapy such that we can test therapies in people 10 or 20 years before they show any obvious signs of the disease and then obviously try and delay disease onset completely. And Huntington's disease is fairly unique amongst the neurodegenerative diseases in that it is a single genetic mutation. And so we can predict with certainty those who will develop the disease. And that allows us to do this. So TRAC-HD was a study that we conceived in 2005 and started in January 2008, which was a cohort of 360 individuals, 120 people who carried the genetic mutation for Huntington's disease, 120 people with early stage disease, and 120 matched controls. And we studied the group at three time points, baseline year one, year two, and year three, which are actually four time points, but 36 months of data, and really effectively put this group of people under a very, very detailed microscope where we undertook complex and advanced brain imaging of many different modalities, a number of cognitive and thinking tasks, a number of tasks looking at the motor system with some novel approaches, and looking at also the way they were thinking about mood and behavior, how, what their quality of life was like, down to even looking at genetics and looking at DNA and RNA and blood samples. So this was probably what we call the most deep phenotype natural history cohort. And that's really what we wanted to do, was to try and say, if we can understand the natural history of neurodegeneration before people show signs of the disease, then we might be able to really develop methods to effectively test treatments in this cohort. Thank you. That's such a brilliantly clear explanation. Thank you. So this final part of Track HD simply is then the final follow-up, getting it from two years to three years, 36 months follow-up then. That's right. Right. Could you just explain a tiny bit more about these complex tests? You talk about finger tapping and brain imaging. So what we did was 3T MR imaging, but with that structural imaging, we used five or six different methods of image analysis, of ways of looking at the brain, looking at the cortical gray matter, looking at the striatum and basal ganglia, looking at the white matter and connections between the cortex and the striatum, and also looking at 
the way different parts of the brain connect to each other. We also added in PET imaging and MRS imaging at two of the sites. In addition to the brain imaging, we had a one and a half hour battery of quite complex cognitive or thinking tasks really probing many different functions of the brain, different regional functions of the brain, and a number of motor physiology tasks. And they were quantitative motor tasks that could be objectively measured. And for example, we measured tapping, a tapping task with a force transducer, a number of lifting tasks with a force transducer, and also tasks like tongue force against a force transducer, because the control of the tongue and tongue movements becomes abnormal in Huntington's disease. And so we were able to detect very subtle abnormalities of tongue movement, which actually has an important role in motor control, we were able to detect very subtle abnormalities of tongue movement in people before they showed signs of the disease. And so this was a large battery of tests that subjects had about a nine-hour day linking in with structural imaging and trying to link the two. Again, thank you. That's a very clear explanation. And of course, the key question we want to know is summarize the key findings and what do we know from this phase of track HD that we didn't know before? So I think we really do now understand the map of Huntington's disease. And there was a very nice commentary that went alongside our paper, which I was unaware of until it was published, by a senior colleague or senior neurologist in the US. And I felt that he really summarised it. He wrote that now there's a roadmap of the time course of Huntington's disease that was never there before. And what we now know is a very detailed trajectory of how this disease progresses in people from 16 years before their predicted onset through to people with stage 2 disease, which means they've had symptoms for about 10 years. So it's a long trajectory. And we know now how the disease progresses over 36 months. What we found was over 36 months, the group further from onset which we call the pre-A group, did not really change very much clinically, very little to find over 36 months, apart from some structural brain changes, which I think was very good news because that tells us that people pre-symptomatically, further from onset, over 36 months, there's absolutely very little to find compared to controls. What we found, though, the pre-B group who were nearer to onset, we began to find a signal over 36 months where we can track some decline in a number of clinical and structural imaging measures. And what that means now is for that group, we're now ready to design potential disease-modifying clinical trials for people before they have obvious symptoms of the disease. So that's really important. What we also found over 36 months was that we looked at the data and we said, what is it about people at baseline? What was about their baseline measures that allowed us to predict who would develop the disease disease onset or who would progress during the study. And so we did a very detailed analysis of saying what measures at baseline allowed us to predict onset and progression, which I think is one of the most important analysis that we did. So what we found is a number of interesting findings. So in people who were pre-manifest HD gene carriers, we found that the size of their striatum, their basal ganglia, and how much gray matter they had predicted whether they were going to develop onset of the disease within the next 36 months based on the baseline measures. Interestingly, we also found how they performed on some cognitive tasks at baseline, for example, like a working memory task and psychomotor tasks, also predicted those who were going to develop the disease. So 
We also found in early stage disease measures that allowed prediction of progression. There were brain imaging findings and cognitive measures that were very interesting in predicting progression. But what we also find, and this was, I think, very interesting because it supports what we know from the clinic, was that your baseline score of apathy, which is lacking in motivation, which is a frontal lobe symptom, which is very, very difficult to treat and not amenable to treatment, found in many neurodegenerative disorders. Your baseline apathy score predicted your future functional decline in progression in early stage disease. Ah, that's interesting, yeah. It is, and actually that was as strong as many of the imaging or more biological measures. So that tells us that something that's a frontal lobe symptom like apathy, which we don't have any treatments for, really does predict a decline. And we need to really think about, in addition to therapies that may be modulating cognition or motor function, that may be modulating the disease, we need to think of therapies that are actually modulating some of these symptoms because they're clearly very functionally disabling. Indeed, and that actually brings me on to the last question, and we ought to wrap it up fairly soon. Fascinating though it is, and of course all the detail in the paper, in the issue, also online on thelancet.com. The take-home message here is that because of the roadmap that's been created that you and your team have created, as the commentator so eloquently expresses in that comment that you've mentioned, we've got the roadmap now, so this paves the way presumably for clinical trials because therapy's got to be the next step, even though we can't treat apathy. We can potentially treat other symptoms, is that right? Exactly. So this is where we are now. The Track HD battery is already being used and being tested in trials for early stage disease. We're now helping design a trials battery for pre-manifest disease so we can test disease-modifying treatments in the future in pre-manifest HD. And also, it allows us, because we can now make predictions of onset and progression, it allows us to do sample enrichment for clinical trials so we then can try and recruit people who are most likely to progress for sample size enrichment to reduce your sample size calculations. And I think what it also has taught us, it's taught us a lot about the neurobiology of Huntington's disease because what we also found, and this is really now what we're looking at in our new study, is because we found over 24 and 36 months in the pre-manifest cohort, over 24 months, the pre-manifest cohort nearer to disease onset showed no change compared to controls. And the pre-A group over 36 months showed no change compared to controls, despite really striking structural imaging changes in both those groups over time. Loss of white matter connections, striatal loss, cortical loss. And so that brought up the interesting question, how do people continue to function when they carry a mutant gene that is exerting its neurodegenerative effects, despite that structural imaging changes, which we know represent a neuropathological hallmark? And that's really led on to the new study, which is studying the pre-manifest cohort which is called track on HD, and that's using very functional imaging measures to try and see if we can dissect what we think there may be and testing the hypothesis of that there may be a compensatory neural network that allows people to function very well in complex thinking and motor tasks despite ongoing structural brain damage. And it's 
the study started and it's really trying to dissect out functional measures that may be relevant to understanding neural networks and neurodegeneration. So it's much more hypothesis driven and it's looking at testing the hypothesis of the presence of a neural compensatory network and that symptom onset in this disease may be due to a decompensation of that network. So I think a number of new scientific questions has come out of the study that's really trying to understand the architecture of the brain and brain dysfunction in the neurodegenerative disease process. And I think it can also give insights, I think, into other diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, which are also protein misfolding diseases. And I think it's likely that similar pathophysiologies are occurring in these diseases, where to date it's been difficult to do the similar sort of roadmap study because they don't have a specific, very sensitive test to study people 10 or 20 years before symptom onset. Thank you, Sarah. Just a final thought then, the next step, clinical trials? Clinical trials for early stage disease and designing, which are going on now and designing them for pre-manifest HD. And what's the time frame for that? We hope that there will be therapies to test in pre-manifest HD within the next five years. It's more challenging to take potential disease-modifying therapies into people who are clinically well because the regulatory authorities want to have evidence that they're going to have some benefit in people with early-stage disease before you take them into people who are clinically well. So that's at the phase we are now. Fascinating study and always excellent to talk to you. So Professor Sarah Tabrizzi on the line from University College London. Many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet Neurology. Thank you so much, Richard. Really good to talk to you. Many thanks again to Sarah Tabrizzi and to you all for listening. See you next time.